This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Today's lesson is titled, What Kind of Heart Do You Have? And it comes from 1 Samuel 23, 14 through 29. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-864. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson as we've gone through the book of 1 Samuel, or even before that, go to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch our podcast just about anywhere you want to listen, whether that's iTunes or Google or Amazon. Go where you listen to your podcast and search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now today we pick back up and we're going to finish up the 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel. Now if you remember last week we talked about making good decisions and we looked at how David, after he'd gone to the cave, how he got his heart right with God, how he had taken and asked God for forgiveness for his backslidden heart. When Saul first came after him, David was making decisions based on what he knew he could do. But we saw last week that he went to God first, multiple times before he went and battled the Philistines. And before he even left where he was in the stronghold, he asked God if Saul was coming down and would the people turn him over. We saw that he went to God and asked three different times. And I asked you the question, what do you do first? Do you pray or do you plan? We should never operate alone. We should never operate out of ourselves, And that's really what we talked about the whole lesson about. And then we also looked at how David, not only did he go to God first, but he always went to God. His dependence was on God. And then the last thing we saw was that God blessed his obedience. God took care of him through his obedience. He gave him the victory of the Philistines, and he also allowed him to get out of town in time before Saul and his men would come down after him. Now today, though, we're going to see a whole different side of it. We're going to look at the different hearts of the people that are in the rest of this chapter. We're going to see Jonathan. We're going to look at the heart of Jonathan. Then we're going to look at the Ziphonites and how their heart looked like. What were they willing to do? We're also going to go back and study quickly on the heart of Saul. And last, we'll wrap up looking at David's heart. As David's going through all this, what does his heart look like? Remember, God said that David was a man after his own heart. At least that's what God told Samuel when he told him to correct King Saul. So today, what kind of heart do you have? We'll look at four different hearts. And with that, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We'll start in verse 14. Now, we did cover this briefly, but I want to pick back up there because it really sets up for verse 15. 
So if you would, 1 Samuel chapter 23, we'll start in verse 14, and I'll be reading out the ESV. And David remained in the stronghold in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And we talked about the sovereignty of God and how God protected him, even though Saul sought after him every day. And now let's look at verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Let's stop right there for now. So what we see here is that David is becoming very discouraged. He's being chased every single day. That's what verse 14 says. Saul sought after him every single day. But God and his sovereignty did not let him fall in the hands of Saul. And we find David in verse 15 now that he is in the stronghold. He's in the wilderness of Ziph. He's at Horish. And Jonathan finds out somehow where he's at. And he rises and he goes out without his father knowing. He goes and he wants to strengthen his hand. And he says to him, do not fear, for the hand of my father shall not hurt you. You will be king one day over Israel. Who is the heir apparent for King Saul? That would be Jonathan. But Jonathan knows already that David is going to be king. And he tells him, that he said, you're going to be king one day and my father will not hurt you. He goes even as far to say, my father knows this. And so the two of them remake this covenant again before the Lord. Remember, they've made covenants before and before David went on the run. When we studied run, David, run, he and Jonathan made a covenant there. But we see that they renew their covenant one more time and David stays where he's at and Jonathan heads home. A couple of things I want you to see real quick in verse 14 is that he's at the wilderness of Ziph. Now, Ziph is a town that's below the southern tip of the Dead Sea. It was a varied landscape. It wasn't a place to be comfortable. It wasn't a place that was easy to get to, so it was a good hiding place. And God had protected and guided David and his men to that spot, but it wasn't a comfortable or easy place for him to stay. And so this was a time for God to work on David's life. You know, he was working on him to make sure that he was that man after God's own heart, just as he was in the field when he was a shepherd. He wanted him to be not only king of Israel, but he wanted him to also be king of the wilderness. And then we see that Saul sought after him every day. Saul was determined. He was relentless. He was going to pursue David no matter what it took. He was obsessed with killing David. And so he sought after him every day. And this was wearing on David, as I said. But God and his sovereignty did not allow him to be delivered into his hand. God kept him safe. As much as Saul was determined to get David and to kill David, God had his sovereignty and he dictated the events that happened and when they happened. And I want you to understand that in God's sovereignty, no matter who's trying to get you, no matter what's going after, as long as we depend on God, like we talked about last week, God can protect us. I'm not saying evil things don't happen. I'm not saying that people won't try evil things, but God is still in charge even when things happen that seem like evil won. 
through this discouragement that David's going through, being sought after every day, getting tired of running for his life, his friend, a man that has a heart of a friend, seeks him out. And this really sets up the heart of Jonathan. Jonathan could have easily said, hey, I don't have to go see David. David's going to be okay. I'll make sure that he's okay by just staying here with my father. But that's not what Jonathan does. God moves Jonathan to go see David, to strengthen him, to give him strength. That's what strengthen his hand really means. It means to encourage him, to strengthen him. You know that Jonathan could really only encourage him and and give him encouraging words because he had already tried multiple times to get his father not to kill David and asked him, what has he done? To the point that his father even tried to kill him by throwing the spear at him. But we see that he wants to strengthen and God uses that. And he comes and gives that encouraging word and he seeks him out. The question is, do you have a heart of Jonathan today? Are you using that gift of encouragement? When was the last time you sought somebody out and tried to encourage them? If we're all honest, we're like David. Time after time, we take blow by blow. There are times in our lives where we are just like David. Now, we may not be fighting for our life every single day, but it seems that way. It seems like life just throws a blow after blow after blow, and we need some encouragement. I know I feel that way, and I think if all of us were honest, most of you have felt that way at one time or another. We need an encourager in our life. And then those of us that are encouragers, God wants us to be an encourager. He wants us to speak life into people. Listen to what the Bible says about this, how we need encouragement. Look at Proverbs 18, 14, and it says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? If you look at the living translation, it says a human spirit can endure a sick body. We can make it through a sickness because it's for a small season. But a crushed spirit, when our spirit gets crushed, who can bear that? I want you to see what's going on here is that David has this crushed spirit. He's running for his life day after day after day. Can you imagine how discouraging that is? To know that you get up the next day. And you're grateful that God has given you another day to see the sunrise and to to live. But you wonder, is this the day that Saul is going to catch me and kill me? Now, when David is walking in the spirit, he understands that he has been anointed to be king and that God has plans for him. But think about the flesh side of it. He's trying to walk in the spirit. But just like you, just like me, there are times when it's hard to walk in the spirit and we become discouraged. And even though God has a plan for him, when he doesn't look at God's plan through the Spirit, guess what? His flesh discourages him. And just as David is through this depression, Jonathan shows up on the scene. God knew the timing that he needed to let Jonathan come on the scene. Listen to what Proverbs 27, 9 says. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Again, the New Living Translation puts it in a more English-like statement. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. When we have a friend that shows up and gives us that encouraging word, it is as sweet as perfume, as an incense. And so we see Jonathan's encouraging heart. And it's encouraging because you can imagine what happens when Jonathan shows up. David had to be excited. He, Jonathan is being a true friend. He's putting David first over his own self. 
Jonathan showing up showed David that he cared more about him than he did his own self. What an encouragement without even saying a word. My question for you is, what is your life all about? Is it about you or is it about others? The Christian life is supposed to be about others, not you. We're supposed to be that encourager, just like the heart of Jonathan. Philippians 2.3 tells us, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others before himself. What the Bible's telling us here is don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others because that's better than thinking of yourself. So we see the heart of Jonathan. He seeks out and he is an encourager. Are you coming to church and just being a sponge? Is it all about me, me, me? Or are you seeking others out and encouraging them? I challenge you this week. Find someone. Find two folks. There's people all around you that need an encouraging word. Find a reason and say encouraging words to them. Speak life into them. Now let's look at the second heart. The second heart is the heart of a Zephite. Look back at verse 19. We'll start there. Then the Zephites went up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding among us in the stronghold of Horsh on the hill of Hakalai, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet one more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and and who has seen him there. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Wow, look at this heart. David is in amongst the, these people, and they go to Saul. They are creating a problem. What has David done to them other than he's living in the land? What has he done? But they want to create a problem. They go to Saul. They're trying to be an opportunist. They're trying to create themselves to look good before the king, someone in power. See, they're being selfish instead of being an encourager, instead of helping out, taking someone that needs encouraging. They're actually being selfish and they're trying to make themselves better. They're being selfish at David's expense. And then they care nothing about what God has planned for David because they're saying, hey, he's down here. Let us help you out and we'll hand him over to you. Come on down, king. We've got what you want. What I want you to understand from this is that for every Jonathan that's in your life, there's probably two or three Zephites that are willing to betray you, to sell you out. They may be godly people, but because of their opportunity to operate in the flesh, they will sell their friends out. They'll betray them. I mean, they did this even to Jesus. Remember, Jesus was sold by one of the 12 because he got his eyes on money. And he got his eyes off Jesus. And what did he do? He sold him out. I want you to understand a couple of things. One, the Zephites were descendants of Judah. They were just like David. They were supposed to be his brothers. But what we see is they are King Saul's spies. And they've alerted Saul every time David took refuge in their land. And here David is. He's running for his life day after day. And while his chips are down, they're kicking him. They're kicking him wise down. They go to Saul and they say, hey, we can turn you over. We know where he is. We're willing to sell David to you. We're willing to sell him out, even though he's a brother to us. 
Now, the Bible doesn't tell this, but I have to ask, what did David do? Did they have a real beef with David? I don't think so. I think they wanted truly just to make themselves look good inside of the king's eyes. They were selfish. They didn't care who they hurt. They were self-serving. They wanted their gain, and it didn't matter who they hurt getting their gain. So my question to you is, do you have a heart of a Zephite? Do you sow discord and do you betray others that are in your tribe, that are in your church? Are you self-serving? Listen to what Proverbs 6.16 says. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hand that sheds innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. The Bible right here uses a very strong word. It says, listen to the six things that the Lord hates. There's seven that are abomination to him in his eyes. And then it lists them out. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatchets up evil plots, feet that race down a wicked path, a mouth that tells lies, even under oath, and a troublemaker in the family. And what we see right here is the Zephites are a troublemaker in the family. Actually, most of these describe this person right here. Let me ask, are you a Zephite? Do you have the heart of a Zephite? Do you create trouble? Do you betray those for your own gain? You might say, Tim, well, I'm a Christian. How could I be that way? Let me tell you, a lot of good churches have split because the devil was able to get in to someone that is a Christian that goes to church every Sunday and they got hung up and they created discord in the family. They sold out the tribe. The other thing I've seen in church is there are people that come to church frustrated. They need the word of encouragement, but they don't get it. And so what do they do? They fix their eyes on issues. They use hatred to bring other people down to their level. There's an old saying that says misery loves company. And so they take and they create trouble. They create disdain for others. They form an alliance with others that have the same sinful heart that they have, and they break up the unity in the church. Paul wrote about this in Romans 2.8 to the church at Rome. He said, But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness and indignation and wrath. It's a heart check time. Today, I want you to ask yourself truthfully, am I a unifier, am I an encourager, or am I a divider? And let me go a little further to stomp on toes. Are you a gossiper? Did you know that gossip is a discouragement? Did you know that it creates discord? Are you a person that talks about others or do you encourage others? Ask yourself, what do I talk about and whom do I talk about? Do you talk about yourself? Do you talk about your sins or do you talk about others and you point out everybody else's sin? That is the heart of a Zephite. And then we're going to move to the third heart. The third heart is the heart of Saul. What I just described in the heart of a Zephite, that's bad. But the heart of Saul is even worse. See, the heart of Saul has now got his focus only on him, and he puts himself above God. They may not physically say it, but in their action, they're saying that I am a God. Let me show you that. Look back at verse 21 with me real quick. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. 
Right there in verse 21, we see that, May you be blessed by the Lord for taking care of me and doing evil instead of doing what's right. Now think about this for a second. He has gone from being the king who was ashamed and they had to pull him out to put him before the people and he was humble to now he is actually praising evil. He's looking at their sin and he's saying, you are blessed of God. At what spiritual level of depravity are you at when you do this, when you praise evil? Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who puts darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Wake up. This is what we live in today. We have kings. We have leaders who praise evil. They say that evil is good. They tell us that we should do evil. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter about truth. Truth is bad now. It's hateful. But yet the Bible doesn't change, and the Bible tells us that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet we have leaders today, just like Saul, that are calling evil good. You may be going, Tim, what side of the bed did you get up on? Don't you know the church I go to says that God is love, and God is good, and all the time God is good? And that is true. God is love, and God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But let me tell you what, God hates sin. The Bible is crystal clear on that. And I am not going to stand here today and tell you otherwise. God hates sin. And we just read that. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care who you listen to. If they don't tell you that God hates sin, then you're not getting the full message of the Bible. God is love and God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. I don't care what you've done in the past. You're not too far gone that all you have to do is turn your heart to him. But what I will tell you is that God hates that sin. God doesn't hate you. He hates the sin. Listen to what comes out of the Bible from the book of Malachi. Malachi 2.17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? What you're saying and what the Bible is telling us is that you have worn God out. You do that by saying God is love and those that do evil in God's sight, that he's pleased with them. No, he's not. That's what the Bible's telling us right here in Malachi, that God's not pleased with them. That doesn't mean he doesn't love them, but he's not pleased with them and that you are wearing on God. We live in a society today that wants us to praise open sexuality. How dare us as Christians celebrate and condone sexual immorality in all forms? I'm not going to pick on just one. Whether it's murder of an unborn, whether it's living in homosexuality, if it's having sex outside of marriage, if it's having an adulterous relationship, whatever it is, we have to call evil, evil, and good, good. I don't have time to really just keep going into this. I could do a whole lesson on this. But we live in a time where our virtues from the world sound good. But when you look at them closely, when you inspect them with the Bible, they're selfish. They're man-centered. They're anti-Christ. They're totally against the truth of the Bible. And so what heart do you have today? Do you have the heart of a Jonathan? Do you have the heart of a Zephite? Or do you have the heart of King Saul? I need to move on and get to this final heart that I want you to see. I want you to see the heart of David. Look back at verse 24 with me again. 
And they arose and went to Zeph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, and the Arab in the south of Jeshmon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Moan. And Saul went on one side of the mountain. David was on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. And a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, come, the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistine. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the stronghold of Engedi. As I started out, we saw David's heart that he needed encouraging. We saw the encouraging word from Jonathan. You got to wonder right here what's going on. David is about to get caught. He's going down one side of the mountain and Saul's going down the other. And what does he do? He reaches out to God. Look at Psalms 54 with me real quick. Before you even get to verse 1, at the very top, your Bible should say that this is when the Zephites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? This is what David writes. He says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to my words. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is my upholder of my life. He will return the evil to the enemy in your faithfulness. Put an end to them with the free will offering I sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eyes has looked and triumphed on my enemies. What David says is, I got strangers that are rising up against me. They seek my life. They're turning me over. But look how he ends up. He says, I will give a sacrificial offering to you. I will remember how you've delivered me from every trouble that I've been in. My eyes will look at my triumph over this enemy too. See, what we see in the heart of David is really three things. We see that he depends on God. We see that he understands his enemy, that they're trying to sell him out, but he fully trusts God. In verse 1 and 2, we see that he immediately goes to God and he asks for help. We see that he puts his trust in God. He says, God, you're the one that can vindicate me. You can take care of the issue. See, the heart of the Zephite and Saul is counter to this heart. See, they're selfish. But in the heart of David, we see God is the Savior. God is the one that is going to be vindicating over his enemies. It's not him, but it's God that's going to do it. And then we see that he understands the enemy. In verse 3, we see that, that the Zephites are going to give him up. They're his brothers. They're not strangers, but they want what's good for them. So they're going to give him up. But then in verse 4, he says, behold, God, you're my helper. See, he puts his trust in his protection. He says, you will uphold my life. You will repay my enemies with evil. And then as I showed you, we see the heart of praise that comes out of David. We see in those last couple of verses how he praises God even in his storm. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. I don't know what you showed up here today, what was going on in your life, what's going on in your life. If you're like David and you've been betrayed, but I want to know what kind of heart you have. Whether you're an encourager or whether you're self-centered like the Zephites and like King Saul and you praise evil. Or do you praise God in the storm? You know, there's a song that is sung by Casting Crowns. It says, I'll praise you in the storm. It says, I was sure by now that God, you would have reached down. You'd wipe away the tears. You'd step in and save the day. But once again, 
I say amen, even though it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I can barely hear the whisper through the rain. I am with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hand and I praise the God who takes away. I praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands for you are with me no matter where I am. Even when I shed my tears, even when I cry, you hold me in your hand. You never left my side. Though my heart is torn, I praise you in the storm. And that's my question today. Are you like David? Are you praising God in your storm? Are you like Jonathan? Are you giving those words of encouragement to those around you that are going through a storm? So today I close with what kind of heart do you have? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, again, this is another chapter where there's a lot to be learned from history. As we look at David and we look at the what's going on in his life, how he needed a word of encouragement, and you were sovereign just in time to send Jonathan and give him that encouraging word. Lord, we see that he's sold out. We see that King Saul praises those that are taking the easy path that are trying to look good in front of the person in power and get a leg up by selling someone out. I pray for those in our churches today that have allowed Satan to get in their ear. Lord, that have sown discord, that have split churches up. Lord, I pray that they'll take their backslidden heart. Lord, right now they'll ask for forgiveness. Lord, they'll go to those people and they'll say, I'm sorry. Lord, they'll humble themselves. Lord, right now, maybe there's one that's going through a storm like David was. Lord, I pray right now that you'll strengthen them. You'll give them that word of encouragement. But Lord, that they will praise you through that storm. Lord, that you'll help bring in remembrance those things that they need to hear. Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today would be the day. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Jesus, we ask this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.